Hello, my friends. How you doing? This is Aaron Maurer, a.k.a. Coffee Chug. Guys, we're here with episode 132 with Michelle Eaton. The title of this is Strengthening Online Teaching and Learning, but started off as a conversation thinking about blended learning and, and some of those practices within the hybrid and virtual conver- uh, teaching environments really moves into a conversation focused more on just how can we be better? How can we embrace this opportunity, even though we know there's a ton on your plate? So a wonderful conversation. Michelle dropped some serious nuggets of wisdom, some things for you to think about, some some great resources. And this is also part of Putting Out the Fires and Online Teaching PD, um, a series that I'm putting together for teachers that I support here in Iowa. And so if you are interested in learning more about that, checking it out, having access to the materials, it's not just about us in Iowa, but anybody that needs it, uh, check the show notes for the link. All right, my friends, let's get into this conversation with Michelle Eden, another amazing guest, another person that's bringing a lot of their expertise to the table so we can all get a little bit better. Enjoy. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello, everyone. How you doing? We're back here with another session, and this is a topic and, and a guest, and I'm super excited to have on the show because I think um, based on the feedback and conversations I'm having with educators, and I'm sure uh, Michelle, who is our guest, it will, will be able to probably connect and agree with as well as many educators are, are trying to figure out how to make sense of this, I'm going to call it a new territory. I know these concepts aren't necessarily new, whether we're, we're being asked to teach hybrid or asked to be teaching online, or in some cases, some of you are being asked to do both. Um, you know, I think we, we get the, the concepts behind this, but we're not always quite sure how to do that. So I'm super excited to have Michelle Eaton on the show today. And before we actually dive into that content, I'm already getting ahead of myself here. Uh, Michelle, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to introduce who you are so they know um, your work, your background, kind of what you do in case they don't know who you are. Um, and if they don't, then obviously this is another wonderful opportunity to add an amazing person to their, their PLN. So uh, Michelle, could you introduce yourself here before we dive into uh, the awesome topic for today? Sure. So hi, thank you for having me. I am Michelle Eaton. I'm the director of virtual and blended learning for a school district in Indianapolis. So my current role is that I oversee online course design and professional learning for our online high school and then all of the blended initiatives around the district. So I've been doing that for about nine years um, before it was cool to do <laughs> online and blended learning. And so now it's definitely shifted some now that we're, we're all doing that. Um, so, so that's my role. I'm a former second grade teacher. So I came from um, an elementary background and, and now I work at K-12. And um, I also am a new author. So I just recently wrote a book on blended learning that was released mm-hmm. this summer called The Perfect Blend. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, awesome. And so I think I think it's important so for a lot of educators to know that, uh, you know, you're not just a talking head. This is actually like what you do for a living and, and working in it, and you're living and breathing in these worlds, which I think is, is really important for a lot of educators, because I think it's, it's sometimes there's lots of people right now trying to tell people how to do stuff that have never had to do this work before. Um, mm-hmm. and so th- it's, it's really great to have, have you on, on, on the show there. And 
you said you've been doing this before it was cool. And I was trying to frame up the, 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 the context for this. And I was looking at it from the lens of, you know, we talk about blended learning or, um, you know, learning stations, or we want to call it flip learning or, you know, insert the, 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 the word here that whatever people um, gravitated to. And that was back, I think when it was, it was, it was nice to do, you know, and now yeah. here we are in a world <laughs> where it is necessity. It is a need that we need to do these things. Yeah. And so as you've been working with people, what have you found um, that, that that's helped people kind of get started in this? Because I think the majority of people, if we say blended learning, if we talk about learning stations and we talk about these types of things, teachers are going to nod their head and say yes. Whether they fully grasp it all or not is, is whatever. But I think people go, I get it. I know what those things are. But what have you been seeing that, that's been helping people now that it's like, oh my gosh, I actually have to learn this and I have to do this and, and what I've been doing isn't working in these new virtual environments. What have been some of those, those, those first steps that you found for them to go, people are having success with this? So um, a couple of things. Uh, I think one of the challenges is that we're all going back in different contexts and then we also know that we're going to probably be shifting throughout the school year, what, what learning looks like, what that environment is. Um, but the reality is no matter how you are currently teaching, um, whether it's remote, fully in-person, hybrid, if you're teaching students at home and in person at the same time, um, we face similar challenges. And um, I think if we think first about addressing those challenges, so first of all, being uh, we, have, we all have to be able to teach online face-to-face -face this year. Um, that's a reality. Um, we have to be able to move fluidly between those models um, without, without, with minimizing the disruption. There's obviously a certain amount of disruption that happens when we change environments. Um, but then um, finally, regardless of the context in which you are teaching right now, the, how we collaborate and connect uh, with students shifts, whether that's because we're physically distant or socially distant within the classroom. And so blended learning, you know, becomes the thing that makes that feasible. But when we start to think about all of those shifts and we start to think about teaching online and teaching face-to-face, -face, it feels like separate jobs. And um, for a lot of folks, this thought of I'm teaching face-to-face -face and kids that are quarantined at home remotely, or I have a hybrid model where I have some kids face-to-face, -face, I'm supposed to also be teaching kids that are home online. Um, that almost feels insurmountable because if we think about it as separate jobs. And so I think the first thing that can be really helpful is to think more holistically about live instruction and on-demand instruction. I'm trying really hard to get away from the, the term synchronous and asynchronous. I think yeah. we're all sick of hearing it. I think it's, it can make <laughs> a lot of educators throw up in their mouth with these terms, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> so let's use new ones until we're sick of these and we'll find yeah. something else. Um, but uh, so, so if we think holistically uh, about, you know, what is it knowing that you have limited time live with students regardless even if your your students are physically all back we need to provide some of those asynchronous those digital lessons um, so that they have a, the ability to connect with each other so that they are ready if we need to go remote but you know this isn't the first time they've been introduced to it so so regardless of the context we have limited amount of time live and so when i'm thinking about what i'm teaching live i'm not thinking about what i'm teaching live if i'm home and online, I'm not thinking about it, you know, separately from what I'm teaching face to face. I think about my content and what I'm teaching and what is the thing that only humans can do? What is, 
what if I only have 40% of the time with my students in our district where our secondary teachers, they're, um, they're at school two days and students are at home three days. So it's a hybrid. Um, that's 40% of your time with kids that you have live. What's the most important 40% of your, of your job that you can't do if you're, if you're not face to face. And so that's what I'm going to make live. And so when we think about that, it's generally not lecturing. Um, it's, you know, differentiating, it's small group instruction, it's the, the personal connection, the SEL work that we do with students. Um, I'm going to prioritize that for my live time. And it's going to be live if I'm face to face and it's going to be live if um, we, we go remote. The environment's going to change, but that instruction's going to stay the same. And then I'm going to leverage digital lessons. I'm going to leverage technology to do what technology does well. And I'm going to, I'm going to design digital lessons that can help to essentially clone myself to allow students to learn for instruction to be happening um, in, in a flexible space. So an example of this is actually just recently talking with a French teacher at um, one of our high schools. And, and he was saying that, you know, really thinking about it like that, he, he said, um, I'm not teaching grammar live. When I think about the most important role for me in my French classroom, it's speaking and listening activities. Um, and, and so the other thing is he's designing these great digital lessons and he's like, kids are learning and they, they don't need me physically there. Um, and I'm having a greater impact with um, the speaking and listening activities. And he said, he was like, this is, I don't think I'm gonna change this when we do get back to normal. He's like, this is just, this is working. I think my kids are gonna learn more even within the constraints of this pandemic. Um, and so I, I think really thinking about that is important. And that looks different for every teacher. I wish there was a recipe to follow, but like what works for that French teacher may not work for um, a, a math teacher uh, because just the, the way your content works and what works for an art teacher would be totally different. So um, it, it's really, I think, stopping and reflecting on that and being and prioritizing, optimizing your time live is, is critical. And then as we go to design those digital lessons, um, that seems that's, that's a pretty daunting task because you know we don't we don't learn the same online as we do face to face and it would be great if we all had um, formal training and, and years of practice and we weren't just thrown in to you know build this airplane while it's in the air um, and so there are a lot of things to consider but I think if you were to have the biggest impact like the, the one thing I can do um, and to have a big impact immediately I think that's to think really critically about interaction. So um, when I am designing a digital lesson or I'm, I'm taking a look at an online lesson, I look for three kinds of interaction. And um, if those three kinds of interaction are there, regardless of, of anything else, we know we're gonna have an active experience. And so that's student to student interaction, student to teacher interaction, and student to content interaction. So I'm gonna look for, I'm gonna create an opportunity at some point in the digital lesson for students to connect with each other. And this doesn't have to be fancy. Um, this could be in a Google document, you just create a, a table and have students contributing to a row in the table or um, it's you know, using a Flipgrid or a Padlet wall, but I'm gonna have a chance for students to connect with each other. Um, so critical, especially now. I mean, it's, it's critical for good online learning, but right now, like we need to be so intentional about creating opportunities for students to connect. Um, the student to teacher interaction. So um, um, is my presence there in the digital lesson? Am I leaving um, feedback? Am I involved in the discussions? 
that is beneficial for a lot of reasons. There's some significant research out there about um, even academic integrity online. We have this big fear that as soon as we move online, ever, the kids, like cheating's gonna become rampant. And um, the, the reality is the research tells us that it has, uh, cheating online has less to do with the environment in which it happens and has everything to do with teacher proximity. Um, and it's exactly the same face-to-face. -face. So if you think about it in a face-to-face -face classroom, and you have kids working on a learning activity, they are more likely to cheat if you are sitting at your desk checking your email than if you're up walking around the room. Your proximity to the learning um, impacts the academic um, dishonesty or honesty within the classroom. It doesn't prevent it completely, um, but it has, it has less to do with the environment. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that students are physically close to each other and can whisper and tell answers. It has nothing to do with the materials they have available to them to write a note on a piece of paper and hand it over. It's the teacher's proximity to the learning. Online, that's not a physical proximity. Um, so it's, it's more perceived presence. So little things like having your face in the video, that creates a presence with the material um, than using something that you just find on, on YouTube participating in discussion, replying, um, uh, replying in comments, leaving feedback when you go to grade, like those things all impact your, your proximity to the learning, which impacts cheating. Much, um, has a much bigger impact than the environment itself just because they're able to Google something. So anyway, I'm chasing a rabbit there, but um, looking for that. And then the third piece is um, student to content interaction. So um, creating opportunities for students to actively engage with content um, and that doesn't have to be fancy either you certainly there are in, interactive uh, materials and websites and resources you can use but even thinking about if i want students to watch this video what are they going to do with it creating some sort of metacognitive activity after um, i like uh, one simple strategy i think that's a quick win is for any any kind of reading um, copy pasting and i got this from devin hess he works at uc berkeley um, but he suggests copy pasting a text into a Google document or uh, the Microsoft equivalent. And um, then you can build in, um, you know, closed reading prompts or a, a task for students to do. If you think about it, that those are free annotation tools you have built in. Students can highlight, they can comment, they can, you can add in text boxes and have them stop and reflect. Um, so you can make it a much more active experience than if they were just reading it from a website or from a PDF. Um, so that's a that's one of those quick wins. But um, ultimately, I think as you're designing, if if that is your if that is your lens, how can I create um, interactivity in those three ways? Even if you don't feel really strong at like the design portion, you're going to have a big impact there. I love that, and I'm so glad you brought up those three types of interaction. It was actually that was like my my next segue question in in, in right, right end. So um, even on an early Monday morning, our, our brains are on the same page, and I think you hit some some really critical elements there um, that I think are, are are really vital for for educators that are that are trying to grapple with this. I mean, one, I think going all the way back to the the beginning there, where we talked about seeing this cohesively, and not as I've got 
this job and this job, but it's one collective job. And yes, you might have to do some differentiation, but we've been tasked with that for, for years. That, that's nothing new. And even the word differentiation, I know sometimes uh, gets people upset. Like just use your professional judgment. You, you know how to meet kids' needs. Um, but if you talk about those interactions, I think that's what's, what's really vital for a lot of educators. And I remember I, I heard, listened to a podcast on education that you were on, and I'll definitely oh, right. link that as a resource. And, and you talked about that, and that really gravitated to, I think it's, it's, it breaks down into simple things as we are planning these lessons whether it is in a hybrid or online like where is the interaction for student to student and I'm looking at my own children who my children are, are in a hybrid approach um, here as well and even my youngest like just the need to to connect with her friends whether it's school or not school related um, you know and, and and we've tried out some different apps and things that in normal year we probably never would allowed but it's so vital for I think their for their well-being and whether that's just even for us as, as teaching building those interactions in yes for learning but also to kind of as as best we can replicate some of the face-to-face -face interaction that just naturally happen in a classroom or in a hallway and nothing's ever going to be the, the same, but there's opportunities there. Um, and the same thing with, with, with the student to teacher interaction. And one of the biggest things that I see a, a, another, um, I'm gonna call it a concern that a lot of teachers have that I think this really can, can help with this. Teachers are struggling with the idea of building relations, especially in the 100% online, where the kids aren't required to put their, their cameras on. And we know that you shouldn't force that. There's lots of reasons with equity and, and respect and privacy. Um, you know, sometimes the kids don't even have to join the session. As long as they're getting the work done, you know, you may never actually speak or see the student, but they're still doing the work. I mean, I know every district's got different regulations, but I think that interaction, that student to teacher and building those things in through lesson development is gonna help you then build the relationships that you're trying to strive for um, that maybe you're struggling with. And as, as a result, yes, it's going to take time. Those relations will start to come around and, and those kids will maybe start to join some sessions and speak. And, you know, um, it, to me, I think that is, is one of the things that I started when you were talking that I think where a lot of people can really help figure out the classroom relationship piece that you could do that in a face-to-face -face environment easier because the kids are in your four-cylinder classroom walls uh you know for x amount of minutes every day and now they don't necessarily even have to attend a, a session um and i think that is kind of like a double win if you really start to intentionally build that in and then obviously mm -hmm. the content because that's our goal um with that and so you know as, as you think about that and and I think about that as people then are starting to think about the, the designing of their lessons you know do you start with the first question you said of you know what is the most vital what is my role as an educator like what was the most important aspect of that for the live session and then you build out you know in the hybrid or if you're online um, you know outside of that do you start with the three interactions and then figure out which one's best to deliver live like how are people managing that? Because I think they're, they're simple tasks. I think they're very helpful for people framing their lessons, but it's also, I think the, a lot of times now it's also like, okay, so, so what, what is the first step, Michelle? Where, how do I, you know, and I know everybody thinks different, but I think that's like that first step is always like, if I can get there, mm -hmm. the dominoes tend to fall into place. I think the first step is to uh, determine your, your live and your asynchronous plan. Okay. So thinking about, and, and what that might mean, I think, um, so if we, if we stop and reflect, you know, what is the, what's the key role is me, uh, for me as a, a person in this classroom, 
with students. Um, and, and we start there. For a lot of us, that's going to be, um, you know, the, the differentiation piece, the, the remediation, like taking, taking data, what we know about what students know, and then helping get them to competency, um, to, you know, a, a level of mastery. Um, for some, you know, like that French teacher, it's the, it's the speaking, it's the connecting in that way. What I think for, for the majority of us, what we're going to find is whole group direct instruction probably isn't the most vital role for us as teachers in our classroom. Um, it is an important part of teaching, but I think as soon as we can fully believe and, and buy into this idea that asynchronous learning is just as much teaching and instruction as what we do live, then we can split that. So I think we, we make that plan. And for a lot of us, what that might mean is that the foundation of the learning happens in those digital lessons. Um, I'm, I'm finding that for a lot of teachers right now, that is kind of the starting place, that whole group instruction that we're all, we're all gonna get. I'm gonna design that in a digital lesson. I'm gonna design it so that I can get data about what students know, and then I'm gonna take my limited time with students to meet to take that data and make artful decisions to help them meet proficiency. Um, so I think I think that's the first step, and then and then we can start we can start building and and designing. And um, I also think so. Kind of backtracking a little bit to what you were saying about yeah. the the building relationships piece and thinking about that in our design. Why? I, I mean, I love online and blended learning. I've loved it before uh, we were all forced to do it. And one of the really powerful things about it is that it can be so individualized. When we, when we start to give students more flexibility in their learning, and that's so much easier to do with, you know, digital lessons um, that allow students to move through at their own pace, learning becomes so um, individualized. And those interactions are, um, you know, have moved now to one-on-one. -on -one. So while in some ways it is easier to build relationships face-to-face, -face, for some of your kids that were good at, you know, blending into the background, sitting there quiet, this could be a better way for you to build relationships with students. And um, I am, we, we have to think about, we have to like hold on to all of those positive things. I think that's one of those things that I hope we really find this year that we can take with us. And there are little things you can do um, throughout your, your academic content, throughout your lessons online to help um, start those relationships. So like I think building in um, quick reflection or like metacognitive activities into your digital lessons are a way to get a pulse on, on learning for all of your students. But then it is the, it's a spark, it's a starter for, for conversation. So what I mean by that, like just quick check activities. It's, it's important for a lot of there's I could ramble on about this forever. There are a lot there's a lot of research that supports um, specifically in an online environment, stopping students and having them process information to think about their thinking regularly. But you can quickly like having a student do a one sentence summary of what they just read or what they just watched, um, having them share, you know, after they go through some material, share the muddiest point. That's one of my uh, favorites. Like what's the thing that's um, you know, most abstract for you right now, or, or that you're still not quite grasping. You can get that really quickly through um, a, a quick assignment they submit, 
from, you could do this on a Padlet wall. It doesn't, it doesn't have to take a lot of time, these quick checks, but then you get an idea, you get some data regularly throughout your digital lesson about what students know, what they don't know. It's an actionable thing for you as the teacher. So you, you ask those um, you know, muddiest point questions regularly. That's information you get that you can now reach out, individualized instruction for a student who in your face-to-face -face class maybe would have just sat there quietly and been a little confused about something. Um, so I think, I think there are things we can do built into our digital lessons that are low effort for the teacher, but um, you know, build that connection between the teacher and the student around their learning that I think is, can be really, really powerful. Yeah, and, and, and you, you said this now a couple times, and I, I want to make sure that we get this highlighted and captured because in a lot of the, the scenarios that you've been sharing so far, like the, they're, they're simple in design, they're simple in use, like you're talking about a one sentence summary, you're talking about, you know, just a spreadsheet where a kid can check in, you're, like, and I think there is this, this pressure um, whether you're an educator that looks at things on social media or even just through the pressure that you put on yourself that all the things we create have to be these magnificent, glorious graphic design interfaces that are you know beautiful and eye-catching. And there's nothing wrong with those. I'm not putting that down. But I think when we get to the heart of the matter and we think about our time, we think about our energy, we think about, I look about my wife who's an educator and educators I'm working with and how quickly they're already almost to the burnout point. Um, and, and we're in, in Iowa, we're entering our, our fourth week of, of schools. I have a real fear that like we have to strip all that stuff down and especially when we don't want to get to see kids face to face and online and online can, can be powerful learning. Like I, I think you've also, I know that I know you believe that um, this is not a bandaid approach. Like I, I wholeheartedly believe this is the mode of our operation going forward being that as districts, you're not putting these plans in hoping that everything returns back to 100% face to face. Obviously we want that, we want to get back to that structure, but there are plenty of students and families that are experiencing this online approach for the first time um, that are going, this works really well for us. This works really well for my student. It works really well for fam. I mean, whatever the reasons and, and it's not going away. Um, it's going to obviously like everything that we keep saying, it's going to look different, mm -hmm. but this option of learning, I think a lot of districts, you're going to have to be prepared to continue to offer that. Um, or, you know, attendance and enrollment and things could, could, could shift and it's not to get into all those politics, but I think to get back to what I really want to emphasize is keep it simple, make it, you know, a, a Google form or a Microsoft form. That's literally one question, you know, put it on a Padlet. Like it, it, it doesn't have to be complex. And um, I know even in this series, for, for those that are, that are part of this PD, we are gonna explore some tools, but we're exploring the tools with, is it actually worth your time? Does it actually solve the problem? Because um, there's so much at our fingertips now. Like there are, there are, there is 700 tools, to do everything. Mm -hmm. and, and while that's great, it's also overwhelming. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I know that we build as educators um, a pressure on ourselves that everything has to be perfect and simple can also be perfect. Exactly. I think that's important to note too, that not only is keeping it simple, like when I tell folks um, when they're creating an online learning, you know, simplifying is so important, especially when you have remote learners, um, things can take a little bit longer. It is harder to walk someone step-by-step -step through how to use a new tool um, remotely. 
But when I say that, it's not just to like, oh, give yourself some grace under a lot of stress, keep it simple. Like if you keep it simple, it's what's going to be best for kids. And, and I think people are often surprised to hear this from me specifically. Um, but, you know, in my role supporting teachers, I, you know, you learn all the web tools, you, you learn how to, to help people and you go through when you troubleshoot. I, I know about tons and tons of online tools that you could use. Um, but when it comes down to me, the things that I use when I am designing any sort of online lesson, whether it's for adults or for kids, I use five things. My online toolbox has five tools in it. And that's it. And I use them in, I know those tools really well. And I use them in unique ways um, so that, you know, varying the learning, it's not the same thing over and over again. Um, but I'm not introducing a bunch of new tools just because it's the new shiny thing that um, I saw the teacher next door using. And um, that's easier for kids because once we learn how to use this one tool, then I don't spend any more time learning the technology. I can jump right into, right into learning. It's less pressure on me because I can find the tools that I like that I can do lots of things with across multiple um, content areas. And, you know, they, they check these boxes for me and then I don't have to stress out about a bunch of other things. I think that's one of the biggest stressors because everybody is doing this now. We're all moving things online and everybody has found that thing that works really well for them that they're excited about. And so, which is exciting, but I think as a, as a teacher, especially one who maybe this is new territory for you, you hear, you know, even within your own building, teachers using all these different tools even if they're just using a couple, it feels, you feel this pressure, like I have to learn, I have to learn how to use all of these things too. Um, and uh, and I, I, think, I think that's an important message to send, that like the things you're using might be different than the person next door to you, but think about the tasks you need to accomplish. So for me, and I don't know if this is helpful to anyone, um, but 90% of everything I do is using my learning manager system and using our uh, G Suite, using Google. If I can, if I can accomplish a task and I'm thinking first, like what is it I want students to be able to do? Um, and not so much like I wanna use this tool, how can I, how can I shove it into this lesson? Um, if I can do it using the features within my plat, the learning platform and Google Docs or Google Slides or Google Forms, then those are the tools I'm using. Even if there's a flashier, cooler, trendier tool out there um, that can accomplish it, maybe even with some more bells and whistles, if I can get the job done there, I'm gonna do it there because that's simple for me. Those are tools I know, it's simple for the students, it's all in one place. Then I have those, the, the other three tools I use are complementing the things I can't do in that platform. So like I use Padlet because you can, it doesn't require a login. So as a former second grade teacher, that's really important to me. Um, and I can do a lot of things and I can use it a lot of ways. Flipgrid, because um, I think one thing we often forget about when we're designing online is the importance of um, you know, language rich content experiences. Um, absolutely necessary for our early learners, our, our emerging readers, absolutely necessary for our English learners, just, you know, absolutely necessary for everybody. We think about, think about you know, traditional classroom instruction, you know, back 12 years ago in 2019 when we we're teaching, um, you know, we talked all the time in class. We talked with our kids, we, we spoke to them. They had a chance to speak back and then we design online and everything is silent. Everything is text-based. And so Flipgrid is an easy tool. I, 
it's I think it's easy. Um, it didn't take me very long to learn, and, and it's built around getting kids talking. So I like that one. And then I like Edpuzzle because I I like having a way to make video an active experience, and that's something I couldn't do with those other tools. And then that's it. And I don't. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not trying, I just use those over and over again. And um, I don't, I don't feel this pressure. Like I didn't, I didn't feel the pressure this year to create a Bitmoji classroom because everybody was doing it. Like I, I have my toolbox and this is what's in my toolbox. So yeah, I hopefully love that help everyone breathe a little bit. Like that is absolutely okay. And actually if your toolbox is small, you're probably doing exactly what you should be doing as an expert in online. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, as, as as we think about this and and kind of wrapping this up here too, I think what you what you talk about there is then we're spending more time on what matters. The I think about going back to your three interactions that you talked about. Um, we're also spending, you know, from 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 the pressure of of. Uh, standards and academics and all that, it gives you more time to troubleshoot the content um, and the kids understanding of the standards versus troubleshooting like, what button do I click? How do I do the the tech? And, and you know, it's, it's always a balancing act. Um, and, and we know that we sometimes, for a lot of us, you might still be testing out a couple different tools to figure out what is going to be in your toolbox. And I think giving yourself permission to, to do that as well is important because for, for, for a lot of people, they've been asked to teach online um, for the first time ever. And I know we had the spring, but I, I also view that as like a blur of that was emergency mode. That wasn't truly mm -hmm. online teaching. And while we did figure a lot of things out, it, it was our, our emotions and everything was just at a different state where now I think people are really kind of lasered in going, what is actually going to work? Where I think before it, 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 was, it was survival. And so this gives you that opportunity, I think, to try some things. You don't need to try a hundred of them. And once you've got your 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 box, your toolbox, you know, for you, it's your Edpuzzle, your Flipgrid, which are all amazing tools. Um, you know, run with it. Right. I think um, a, a quick strategy that's not going to take any. It's not going to take a lot of effort for you as a teacher that you could start implementing that I think would have um, a big impact as you're figuring things out um, is to ask your kids. <laughs> Add in even at the end of the week if it's a quick form asking them um, what worked for them, what they liked, or, or what is it that they are missing? What is it that they don't, you know, what is it they're missing in these online lessons that, and, and what are their ideas for improving it? Um, your learners as are, are your key consumers of this thing that you're creating uh, will have a lot of valuable insight for you. And I think that's beneficial in uh, more than one way. Your kids are gonna be able to tell you what works and what doesn't. They're gonna give you ideas that will make your job easier. Um, one, and then two, the other thing that we're seeing, I mean, we're starting week five, so we've been in a, a similar amount of time in school, and the thing that we're hearing um, a lot is, um, we're, you know, we're worried about starting to lose kids, mm. so kids that aren't showing up, that aren't doing the online work, yeah. you know, how do, how do I engage those kids when they're not face-to-face um, -face with me, where it's like forced compliance, when they have some choices and, and they're, they're not choosing to come in. Um, that's a big question. I think there are a lot of a lot of things to to think about when we're thinking about student engagement, but the simple asking kids to give you feedback um, that can create so much just natural buy-in because not only can they help your job make your job a little bit easier, but imagine from a student's perspective when they realize that not only does their opinion matter, but it actively influences the trajectory of their learning and what learning looks like for them. Um, that's engagement that 
that is so much more meaningful than thinking about how can I create this entertaining lesson for students. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to, that's going to bring them to the table or, or to the computer. So, um, so I think that's something that I would recommend starting this week, at least once this week, stop and ask kids to give you feedback and then use that feedback. Yeah. And I think, you know, as, as you're talking, I was writing down, like, I think that actually ends up being uh, the challenge for this learning is to let's get that feedback mm -hmm. and, and let's, you know, and even then let's, let, let's start to design your, your, your toolbox. You know, what is that going to look like for you um, and starting with the students? And I think, you know, if we can start that now and as we continue, you know, it's a, it's a good little kind of formative for ourselves as educators as well. And like, you know, where are we a month from now and, and what's working and not working with kids? Because as they continue to get all the bells and whistles from, you know, all their teachers and, and figure out their routines, you know, things are going to, going to change too, because I think we're all adjusting on the fly. And so um, I think that, that, that that's a good little next step as well as I think, you know, another challenge for a lot of teachers is thinking about those three interactions, thinking about the, the live and, and the on-demand sessions and, and how, how to tweak your approach to creating content. So I think there's, we're going to have lots of choice. I'm going to have to create like a choice board here, I think, of uh, some challenges, which, is, which is exactly what we want. So, Michelle, this has been been absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, as, as, as we wrap this up, uh, just so people know in the, in, in the PD and the resources, we're going to have a link definitely to your book. So if you are interested, definitely in, 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 in Michelle's work, there is a ton of examples and templates and resources within um, the perfect blend um, if, if you want to dive deep into that. Um, but, but the last little thing here, uh, Michelle, that I would love to end on is we know there's a lot of everybody's plate. We know that there's stress and there's unknowns and all, all the things that everyone keeps talking about all the time. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I should use the word unprecedented. Maybe I shouldn't use that word. Uh, but um, <laughs> so got their bingo cards yeah, out right yeah, now. Yeah, there we go. Bingo. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I've heard you share time and time again through podcasts <laughs> and videos and other things is you really see this and, and I do too um, as a, it truly is through all a lot of the unknown a wonderful opportunity for us to improve and 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 really take a deep reflection on what did work in our face-to-face -face. and i think some of us are realizing some of those things that we thought were successful maybe could be better now that we have to move to hybrid and online and i think to really stay as positive as we can i know easier said than done you've been doing this work for a long time you know it works and i just think it, as a reminder for all of us like this is a wonderful opportunity to get better at our craft, um, help students in different ways to see what works. So whatever the future holds, we are going to be better equipped to handle anything that, that that's, that's coming our way. Absolutely. This is a, a great opportunity um, to throw out the things that we knew weren't working. Like kind of the expectation is at this point. So if there ever was fear of like, oh, I, I can't, I can't try this new thing because what if it doesn't work and accountability, like you, you have this opportunity now to, to really go for it, to throw out what wasn't working. Um, and of course, we learning to be better when we don't have the constraints of living through a global pandemic, certainly, but there are things that we are going to do this year that we're not going to want to get rid of. And so as stressful as, as the weeks are and the days are, and um, as hard as it is to, no matter how far along in your career, to be a first year teacher all over again, like doing this thing that we're not really sure how to do, um, like look for those, look for those moments, look for those wins. And, and I think if we can, I think it'll be good for us to focus on the things that we're learning now that are not just for a pandemic, that 
this is going to improve learning moving forward. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to get past 2020, but I'm really <laughs> excited to do. I'm, I'm excited to see how, you know, this changes education, um, even when things go back to, you know, whatever normal is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for, for all your time. Definitely within the PD and the notes and everything, we'll have lots of, of the links for everything. But for those listening, um, if they want to learn more about you, um, follow up on your work, and, and definitely if you're, not, if you're not already part of their, their, their network of, of professionals they should be following, they need to, where's the best place for them to uh, get started to uh, follow your journey and your learning? Oh, I'm everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you want to find me. Uh, we could probably link my, my handles there for you. But yep. yes, please connect. Um, shoot me a message. I'm, I'm always happy to, to talk about this kind of thing and to support in any way that I can. So um, I'd love for you all to reach out if you had questions or wanted to talk about anything. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thank you. 